Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Today's Wednesday, the 14th of February, 2023. I'm Head of Research in Asia at Bank Julius Baer. My name is Mark Matthews and welcome to our Week in Markets podcast. Yesterday was a big day for markets. The 10-year Treasury yield rose above 4.3% for the first time since the 1st of December last year. The 2-year Treasury yield rose even more, to 4.7%, from a low of 4.1% back in mid-January. As for the stock market, the S&P 500 index was down as much as 2% in the late afternoon, before rallying to close down 1.4% on the day. That still makes it the second-largest daily decline so far this year after January 31st's 1.6% decline. And gold is back under $2,000 an ounce for the first time since December as well. All of this because the January Consumer Price Index, the most popular inflation reading, came out as a hot number. The core index that excludes food and energy rose 0.4% over December. Excluding the pandemic, you have to go back to January 1995 to see the monthly core number rise that much. And on a yearly basis, both the core and headline indices came in above expectations too. The core index was up 3.9% over January last year. The consensus among economists was looking for just 3.7%. And the headline index was up 3.1%, higher than the 2.9% that the consensus expected. These are lower numbers than they were a year ago, it must be said. Back in January last year, core inflation was running at 5.6%. Headline was running at 6.4%. But the headline number, and that's the one the average person looks at and feels in their day-to-day life, has basically just been tracking sideways between 3 to 3.5% since last summer. And that's still quite a bit above the 2% that the Federal Reserve says it wants to see. To quote Lawrence MacDonald, founder of the Bear Traps Report, in a message he sent out on the social media platform X yesterday, inflation is like trying to lose 20 pounds. The first 10 come off like butter. The last 10 are a root canal. Still, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the headline number was down from 3.4% in December of last year to 3.1% in January, and that was driven by, well, for lack of a better word, stuff. For example, gas utilities, fuel oil, gasoline, used cars, furniture, stuff, goods. What's keeping it high is one thing and one thing alone. Property, or as the Bureau of Labor Statistics calls it, shelter. Shelter inflation in January was up 6% year-on-year. The good news is it's down 10 straight months in a row from a peak of 8.2%. But the bad news is that 6% is still a high number, especially for the most important component of the basket. Shelter is 42% of the core consumer price index basket. Shelter is four things. One is rent. Another is homeowner's equivalent rent, what homeowners think the rent would be if they weren't living in their home and renting it to somebody else. Then there's also household insurance and lodging away from home, in other words, hotels and motels. Among them, rent and homeowner's equivalent rent are 96% of the shelter index. And household insurance and lodging are only 4%. But amazingly, in January, the high shelter number was caused mainly by lodging, and it hasn't been a problem for over a year. It's hard to see how hotels and motels can make the whole shelter index stay high. But even excluding them, 
The fact is the residential rental market is stronger than economists have been expecting. Why is that? Maybe because the economy's so strong. Maybe because with high mortgage rates, a lot of people have to keep renting. Jim Cramer said on CNBC yesterday that maybe migrants are part of it. They have to live somewhere, and officials processed an estimated 300,000 people at the border with Mexico in December, the highest number ever recorded. Another thing is the way the Bureau of Labor Statistics calculates the overall shelter component. It surveys rents in six panels in each urban area, and each panel happens in two random calendar months semi-annually. So rather than all rent prices at once, it's a very random sample, with a long lag time versus real rents. Still, we can take comfort in knowing that the real rent prices are down. For example, the online property agency Apartment List runs a rental index that's been showing negative growth of around 1% year-on-year since last summer. So a continued move lower in shelter CPI is to be expected, and with it, a continued move lower in overall inflation, but less quickly than what the market had been expecting. To clarify, with the economy so strong, our economists do see lower rates, but they also see no need to rush. Put another way, the Fed can cut rates, but it doesn't exactly have to. We look for a first-rate cut of 25 basis points in May, and then another five more to a terminal rate of four and a quarter by next summer. That's still around 70 basis points higher than what the futures market is pricing. And so we don't see a big decline in bond yields. The 10-year Treasury yield, which is 4.3% today, we see at 4.2% by the end of this year. The market is pricing in about 4%. Switching over to the stock market, the S&P 500 index is back below 5,000 after spending only two days above that level. The hot January CPI number that came out yesterday, or if not that, maybe NVIDIA's fourth quarter results that come out next Wednesday, could be catalysts for an intermediate pullback in the stock market. It could be a pullback in the high single digits percentage-wise, maybe even the low double digits. After all, the S&P is up 12% in the last three months alone. We need to remember that even bull markets don't go up in a straight line. That kind of pullback would be welcome in the context of what we think is still a market that's in a primary bull trend. And then the question on everyone's mind is, is the S&P going to broaden out away from its narrow leadership? Here I'll say that as a house, we're still in the quality growth camp, and that means technology stocks. The reason why is because their growth is superior to the rest, and their valuations are far from excessive. The Magnificent Seven have a price-earnings ratio that's less than half the price-earnings ratio of the top five technology stocks before the dot-com bubble peaked in the year 2000. And their superior earnings growth will last for the next three quarters. But the fourth quarter this year will be different. In that quarter, the other 493 S&P constituents are expected to have higher earnings growth than the Magnificent Seven, so you might think maybe it's time to switch into those. But the fact is, fourth quarter results won't come out until around a year from now. Lastly on politics, it's not looking good for President Joe Biden. At this point in his presidency, he is the least popular president since World War II. Last week was such a disaster after the special counsel report, it looked for a moment like the Democrats were contemplating changing their candidate in the election to someone new. Since then, it seems like they're back to supporting him again. 
Still, they must know they're cruising for a bruising, with the poles as low as they are. And the sharks are circling. Vice President Kamala Harris said on Sunday, I am ready to serve. There's no question about that. Everyone who sees her on the job, Harris said, walks away fully aware of my capacity to lead. The problem with her is the polls show she's just as unpopular as Biden. And if they don't run her and choose someone else, well, the Democrats are all about equity and inclusion. That would make their platform look a little bit make-believe. So what can they do? Well, there is one option. They could change their mind even right up to a week or two before the convention. There's 4,000 delegates at the Democrat National Convention that'll be held in August. Of them, there are 400 so-called superdelegates, the ones who decide on the candidate. And they are ardent supporters of Hillary Clinton, who said over the weekend, by the way, that Biden's age is a legitimate issue. So who knows? It might be a Trump versus Hillary showdown again. This is Mark Matthews signing off for now. We'll speak with you again next week. And until then, goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you've heard, please tell us by leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe to Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player to stay up to date with our latest episodes. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com slash legal slash podcast for further important legal information.